Welcome to episode 124 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Every time I sit down to write my weekly email, I wonder, what can I share that will be memorable, useful, and worthy of your precious time? I hope that most weeks I manage to meet those high standards, but I remember a time not that long ago when I definitely was not. I was reminded of that when I was speaking to a prospective client about her attempts to grow her business over the last year. One of my questions, do you have an email list? Somewhat sheepishly, she said yes. It was a very small list and she wasn't sure what to send them. So she intermittently sent out an update about what she was doing with links for more information. What she was doing. That's when I had to gently break it to her. I know you know this, but it's not about you. She nodded and said that made sense. She knew that what she had been doing wasn't working. We are all self-interested, all of us, and that's not a bad thing. Let me give you an example from one of my clients. A couple of weeks ago, my client launched her podcast and I was coaching her on what to say when announcing it to her email list. In her first draft, she wrote about how excited she was to finally achieve this goal, one she'd been working towards for years and years. While that was true, it wasn't as compelling as writing from the reader's perspective about how this new resource was going to be incredibly beneficial to her listeners and ask for their support by joining her podcast launch team. The result? In 24 hours, she had a couple of dozen people hitting reply to say they'll be on her launch team, and she already had 10 reviews on iTunes. While we are all self-interested, those of us who can tap into other self-interest will attract people who want to work with us and want us to be successful. Your challenge for this week, commit to writing a weekly email in 2019. Keep the formatting simple, just a text and a link or two. Nothing fancy. Write to a person, not people. Just like right now, I'm speaking to you, not my listeners. Imagine someone in particular and just write them an email. Keep in mind, it's about your readers, not you. Sorry. Ask for engagement from the very first message. Get to know your readers. I mean, who knows? Your next product or service may come from these interactions. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is a pioneer in the world of high-growth women entrepreneurs. As the CEO of the Thought Leadership Lab, she works with purpose-driven entrepreneurs, executives, and nonprofit leaders to scale their influence and impact. Previously, she was the founding CEO of the first trade association for high-growth women entrepreneurs and the co-founder of Springboard, the women's startup launchpad that has led to over $8 billion in funding for women-founded and led companies. She lectures at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and is the author of Ready to Be a Thought Leader. Please join me in welcoming Denise Brousseau. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. So glad you're joining us from your office in Silicon Valley. Um, I want to just jump right in. This is a podcast about building great relationships and strong networks. 
Um, so I, I like to have the context of leadership, right? So if you achieve some level of success in your field industry, then uh, you obviously know something about relationships. So first, tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? It's an interesting question because I don't think up until probably my 30s, I'd ever really defined what a leader is. Uh, but I had a mentor in my 30s who was had been studying leadership and he'd been interviewing a number of amazing leaders over many different fields and industries. And he came back with this framework that I've used ever since. And he, he believed it was three things. V-R-E was his moniker and it was vision, relationships, execution. And so we, most of us, we start our career with the execution, like we're always hired to just be that doobie, get stuff done. But over time, we realizing that the relationships are much more important. Like who knows the answer to this? So I don't have to go figure it out. Who can help me with this? Who can implement this more quickly? Who can I delegate this to? So who are the partners? Who are the, who are the people who are in the know? And then the third is vision. And so this idea of how do we set the story for where we're going and how do we create this enrollment strategy to bring people on board with that future and help us get there. And so I, I really realized after his research that it was kind of all of those things. And so if I look back, and when did that all begin? You know, I think I had pieces of it for a long time. I think even as a small kid, I was one of those like go, go, go kind of kids who asked a thousand questions. And I, I'm still that person asking a thousand questions. And I was always, um, you know, Girl Scouts and raising money for this and knocking on the doors in the neighborhood. But I think it was probably high school when I got involved in theater and I got involved in um, all kinds of uh, initiatives on campus. In I lived overseas and initiatives on campus and actually got to say, here's what we should do and got people on board and then executed. That's when I think I could name myself a leader. And I think it's just grown from there. This piece uh, that you just said about vision, it sounds like even as a young child, when you were talking about this is what we should do, that's vision. Uh, yes. And then of course, the building the relationships that people wanted to follow you and help you execute that vision. I uh, can see how these are all built together. Do you want to name the mentor so we can acknowledge them? Uh, I, I, his name was Frank Green. He passed away a few years ago. Actually, but just this week, we're honoring him. Uh, there's a school being named after him here in Silicon Valley. He was one of the very uh, first African-American uh, successful entrepreneurs here in Silicon Valley. And he went on to be a venture capitalist. And I met him uh, when I was working with Springboard. He invested in one of our businesses and I got to know him. He was such a such an impressive man. And it's a great loss to us all that he's he's passed now. Well, thank you so much for naming him and letting us share a little bit in his legacy that he's left behind. Clearly, he's, he's contributed a lot to the field. So, uh, so I, I like that you went back to, to early childhood and into high school. A lot of my guests, they start talking about, you know, business school and law school. And I'm like, oh, no, go deeper, go deeper. Because I think who we were then is a real influence on who we are today. Um, you're still that theater kid, I bet. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I go to the theater three times a month, and yeah, yeah. I'm still the same. We don't change that much. I, I just went to my business school reunion recently, and it was funny. We're all saying, yeah, you're kind of the same as you were all those years ago. And uh, I don't go to my high school reunions, but I bet it's the same. Yeah, everyone's a little bit uh, older, but uh, still filling some of the same roles. So so I think it's so interesting to, to have this framework, and I, and I really appreciate it because as people develop, I think it's it's hard to make those shifts. I actually remember the moment in my career when my my supervisor and her supervisor, uh, the you know assistant director and director of our department, were 
asking me after three years of being on staff, being the executive, the executor of the tasks to step in to a leadership role where I was doing the visioning. And after, you know, more than a decade of always just being told what to do, I had a lot of angst about not whether I could do that, but about whether they were going to let me. Like, well, what if I build a whole plan and then you just tell me to go a different direction? I've had yeah. that happen, you know? And, and I think we had to sort of build more relational trust uh, and some systems so that I was able to say, okay, here's where I think we should head. Now is the time for feedback. And I like to tell my boss, the time for feedback has passed. I will make a note for next year. <laughs> We're no, we're down this path. We can veer off only in time for next year at this point. So, um, but I think that's a moment that everyone goes through where they suddenly have to see themselves in that way. Sometimes because others see it in them. Because in my case, others saw it in me. They're like, yeah. well, if you're if you're just going to stick around this role that most people don't stay in for very long, and you're not going anywhere, well, then we need you to do something a little different. And I was actually really excited. And I think um, you finding a mentor, me finding someone who believed in me, that is that a piece of this? Do you think to help Always. people sort of crystallize? Yeah, I think in two ways. You know, there's usually somebody, a colleague that we respect and admire that we might learn from. There's someone who's sort of more senior that can identify it in in our in us, or it could be a family member. I mean, I come from a family of leader kind of folks. So I think it's it's a little of all of it. But I think the mentors and the relationships that I've built over my career have been instrumental in the leader that I became. And, and that started in college. I, I had the good fortune of going to a, a prominent women's college on the East Coast. And as a result, everyone around me were amazing women in action, you know, whether it was the alumni, whether it was the faculty, which was more than 50% women, all the students were women, like everything seemed possible because it was somebody already doing it. And so, of course, I saw myself as that woman leader because that was what they were building there. Mm, right. They, the, the, the reason you were there is because they saw that in you. They invited you in to their, you sort of live up to that expectation. I, yes. Yeah, I don't Gr- think we should grow into it. that. Yeah, that yeah. role model is also like, I want to be them, so I better step up to the plate mm-hmm. here. I, I want to be one of those alumni that gets honored, you know, in 20, 30, 40 years, and I want to be recognized for the legacy I'm leaving because I didn't just wait for someone to tell me what to do. I did say, yeah, let's go this way. That's awesome. So uh, when you're thinking about uh, the work you're doing today um, to make this little transition, I always want to ask you, you know, of course, like, what do you do? But I want to ask it a little differently. Um, What do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Uh, So much. I I feel like the joy of the work I get to do today is every day. And I, you know, I have... So the work I do is is working with these purpose-driven leaders is how I summarize them. There are men and women, old and young, but they are all geared to changing the world. They're all change agents in an industry around a particular idea in a field. And the joy for me is to get to help them figure out how to do that. How do we scale big ideas? How do we scale change? How do we stay on track as a change agent? That is hard work, honestly. And having been a change agent my whole career, I want to share everything I've learned from both my own experience and from others that I've worked with. And, and that's, the, that's the work, is thinking about and, and helping people strategize and connect to the right people and, and figure out how to get them on board and all of that stuff stuff. And yeah. I learned something every single day, every yeah. day. Well, and it, what's so great is that you're attracting these 
highly ambitious, high caliber driven people and, and having them be surrounding you, like whether they're working with you and you're their, you know, coach or whether they moved on and now they're your peer, like that's a great place for you to be operating from. Yeah. And, and, and even more, I got a bunch of them together about three months ago. I had a, two months ago, I had a gathering of, of 18 clients um, come and some had never met each other. A few had referred each other. So there were people who knew each other, but to actually get them to support one another on that journey from leader to thought leader, which is the journey that I work with them on is so enriching. Like that, those, mm-hmm. they were all connecting with each other in all these beautiful ways and helping each other and, and strategizing and, and saying, okay, don't go that way kind of thing. And so now they have an email list and they want to do this every quarter and they're talking to each other. And I think, woohoo, it isn't all about everybody coming back to me. Now there's the interconnect of relationships, which is even stronger. I'm all about community. I've built so many communities in my career because I think it is, there's only so much one coach or one advisor or one consultant can do. You need to have the whole group of people. I and think that's doing it the same, you know, doing it too. That is so powerful. Uh, I agree. I, I've been um, building uh, a cohort model for my online coaching program over the last year. And transitioning a little bit away from the one-on-one because I really think that there's some inherent value in having people in that cohort. They're moving through a process together. They're not quite the exact same place, but they're all striving and they, they are supporting each other. And then to see them continue doing that after they've you know graduated from the program, they're alums, they stay actively engaged. And you're right. like The, the genius isn't in what I share. It's in it's in the convening, right? Like that's what you're talking about is the community piece and getting out of the way almost. <laughs> and like, yeah, and setting some guidelines and some guideposts, you know, yeah. even for the very first organization I ever started, so much of it is about who's in and who's out, which isn't about exclusive exclusivity as it is inclusivity, meaning that these people need to connect with one another. So let's put them in a group. But the second is then to set some ground rules, to set some guideposts that say, this behavior is acceptable and this behavior isn't. And for me, it's always started with, and put your put your hand out to help people before you put your hand out to ask for something. Mm-hmm. And if we can create that give before get mentality in everything, you know, just relax at that point. Then it's not a whole bunch of people trying to sell you a thousand things and, you know, taking advantage of each other, but really what am I bringing to this community? What value can I add? And that's, I think, when things shift to be a community and not just a group of people. Yeah. And if you can build that in from the beginning, that that culture can really sustain as other people join. It's refreshing. They're like, oh, instead of it just being a warning about don't do this, this, or this, like don't spam the, instead of saying all those things, it's more an invitation on how to act, how to support, how to engage, right? And that, that yes. changes the culture. Um, Bob Berg's name has come up a couple of times recently in the interviews. He wrote a book called Go Giver. Uh, he actually has a series around that. And I just think it reminds me a lot of this conversation. Uh, instead of being a go-getter, <laughs> be a go-giver. Um, and he was recently honored the Na- uh, the National Speakers Association annual conference. Um, he was uh, invited into their um, Hall of Fame. So um, good person to know, and I'm glad that he's getting some recognition for the work he's doing because it it really resonates. And it, it and yet it's like a flip to what most people think they should be doing, right? Do you see that there's a mindset shift that many people have to go through? 
No question. And, and I work a lot with women leaders. And I think that this is the struggle because there is this sense that networking is dirty, icky, whatever, all of that story that we got told or told ourselves or whatever. And I think it's a, somehow an excuse not to go do what you know you need to do because you decide that it's, that's bad and you're not bad. So we don't, you know, but it's just, that's a fantasy. We need each other. And, and the more we can be that go-giver and to be that connector to others. I always, tell women leaders that the most important thing is your network. There is nothing more valuable. All that skill, all that doing that you've been doing, all that to-do list checking. Every time I see somebody who's lost their role, lost their job because of whatever situation that's happened, it's almost always because she didn't understand that one third of her job was not on the job description. It was this piece. I get out there, tell people what you're up to, do a little bragging, make the connections that you need to talk about the future, all the stuff that everybody's just going to their desk and doing there. And I don't think this is just women, but I tend to work a lot with senior women that that is the frequent problem. And then they come to me and later in their career, they're like, why didn't I build a network? Ah, Um, yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. I always think of it as an insurance policy. You never buy insurance hoping to use it. (laughs) It's quite the opposite. You hope you'll never need it. But if you ever need it, it's right there, you know, and the same thing with a network. Uh, if, if everything kind of gets pulled from under you, having that network means you can rebuild quickly. I think as you're talking about it, it's, it's really the idea that people wait until they need something and then no wonder they go into this in a deficit mindset and a scarcity mindset, right? So, so, so keeping it going. So what are the some, well, I'm curious, like what some of the practices are that you have um, you know, not to stay connected to your closest connections, but sort of that second and third tier out, the people you meet at a conference or uh, colleagues from years ago, uh, clients from years ago, you know, not someone you're planning to work with imminently. What are some of the things, practices, philosophies that you have around sort of nurturing and sustaining those connections? Essentially, it's all about showing up. Mm. Seriously, it's about showing up. It is... Um, that's been one of my secrets of success. I pick a few communities and pick them years ago and I keep showing up. Some of them I've been a member of for 20 years, 18 years. Like these are places I keep showing up. And over time, not ever with my hand out expecting, but giving, you know, offering my expertise in whatever way I could or bringing people into the group or whatever role as a leader I could play in the organization. And over time, people learn what I can do. And then they refer people to me or they come to me as clients. And that has been my most important secret. Just keep showing up to the same places. Don't fritter your time away in 50 different networking venues, but keep showing up where there are people who are your target market. For me, as I said, senior women leaders. And then the second secret, I'd say, is LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Like I am a junkie on LinkedIn and I've what almost 5,000 connections and I'm on there all. It's up every day. I probably get it up all four different windows on my screen here. I'm always looking people up. I'm, you know, sending notes. I'm answering notes. And this is, it's a gift to have that. Uh, And now that I have a partnership with them and I'm doing online classes with them, it's even more fun. But I've started using LinkedIn early, early, early. I met one of their product managers early and I, and then I got a little competitive because I saw a guy friend of mine was on there and he had more connections and I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> many connections. <laughs> and so then I started connecting with everybody. And ever since it's just been such a gift. And now I post there. I, so yeah, I think those are my two strategies, show up and then connect to LinkedIn. And those have been what's carried me forward. 
I want to tease this out a little bit because I think that you've really struck on some things here. I want to make sure people are getting this. I, I think the scattershot approach is what most people do when it comes to networking. They try a, a place once or twice, and then they hop to another venue, they hop to a different venue. It's same thing online. Online group one, they like sign up, but they don't really show up. And then they sign up for another one, or they, they sign up for a course, but they don't really stick around to talk to the people in the course. You know, and and it's like I I join courses almost never for the hundred percent for the content. It's always for the community and the content's a bonus. <laughs> like that's how I've I been think thinking about strategy. it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, if I if I'm willing to like pay in to like be part of this space, be part of this community, the content's gonna be a bonus. So I think this is great. This uh, the takeaway would be like find three places that you can commit to coming to and really build, build those connections like you've been giving for a long time and then people will start to know who you are. And even, um, even in the short term, I tell people like to, to go three times really quickly so that people yeah. Don't quickly. show up like once every six months or a year. <laughs> you keep showing up regularly yeah. so that people start to look for you. And you kind of know when you've done it well is when you walk in a room and you've got a few smiles like, oh, she's here, right? Versus... Yeah. You know, who's that? You know, they're kind of going, does anybody know who she is or he is? That, that shift to when people smile at you and they recognize you and that is when you know, okay, now, I've, now I'm starting to make an impact here. I'm starting to get noticed and then I should just keep showing up. And, and I see so many women, again, I'll go to women just because I'm in a lot of women's communities, but I see a lot of people who show up once every other year or every year, they just pay their dues and they think for some reason that's going to be the magic. I'm a member of this group. Like, no, you're not. If you're not a member by paying your dues any more than you're a member because you signed up for that class, mm-hmm. please, let's, let's actually maximize all this time and investment and keep showing up. Ooh, maximize and leverage. I like these are the kinds of things I think people um, they think of it as like a, a separate activity, but you way you're talking about it's like embedded in your work. It's not this uh, networking for you isn't this thing that you're checking off a list and like a okay I'll get to it and I'll do it. It's it's just woven in. Um, when did you start having that as a practice? Like how, where does that come from for you? Is there someone? who really supported you in, in making your own mindset shift? Um, I think it's two things. One, the college that I went to, Wellesley College, it has a very, very strong alumni network. And from the very get-go, when I first graduated and I moved to D.C. before I came to California, I I didn't know anybody in D.C. You know, I moved there because I thought it would be a cool place to be. And I uh, first I got a I got a room with a Wellesley person through the Wellesley list. And then I got a job through the Wellesley list. And, you know, then I moved to California and I got another job through the Wellesley list. So Wellesley was my community. And so I realized if these people are helping me, I better show up and help them. So then I got, I became sort of the, you know, the treasurer and then the secretary and then the vice president and the president of the club. And now here in California, it's a huge club. It's like 800 members in Northern California. And that's just one of the two clubs. So I ran the club for a couple of years as the president and that, helped me really connect. So I think it was the Wellesley community. They're very, very strong, powerful, amazing women. Um, and then I think the second is I started 
an organization. You know, I started one and then two and then three over the years. But the first one that I started uh, with the time, the trade association was called the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. Now it's called Watermark. And the group was to bring together women who are growing big businesses, uh, what I call high growth entrepreneurs, tech, life science. And I started that right out of business school with a friend and realizing that if I'm going to be now the CEO of this organization, I was for five years, I did it on the side while I was working in tech and then five more years full-time. Uh, if I'm going to really be growing this organization, then I need to understand how do networks flourish. And so that was more of a making sure that the people who were involved with me were people who had been parts of, you know, for more years than I had, been parts of these kinds of organizations. And yeah, I was in my 30s, so what did I know? And so it was finding other people who could be on our board, who could be advisors, who could be members, who got it more than I did. I mean, I had some core understanding, but they've just been, many of them were way more experienced than I was. And so using their leadership of how do you build an organization that is a community that people want to join and stay a member of, that was depending on a lot of other people. So it also sounds like you got your ego out of the way in order to do that. You saw, one, you identified that that was a need you had, and then you're willing to bring people on around you and onto the team in various ways to make sure that that was happening. And then you probably learn from them so much. I mean, I think a lot of people stop themselves at the, okay, I figured out something I don't know. Ooh, let's not tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want anyone to know that I don't know this. That's not where my ego shows up. My ego shows up more around perfectionism and it shows up more around competing with others a little and it shows up more around, um, you know, being treated fairly, things. So it doesn't show up in that way, which has served me. Like, I'm curious. I really want to learn. I I consider myself a lifelong learner from the get-go. And so that's fortunately not where it shows up. And that's served me because now I I can feel like I can learn from everybody and anybody and please bring it on. Mm -hmm. That's a really wonderful uh, attribute. And I think it serves you well. And I think other people could think about how to start to open themselves up uh, to these new opportunities by, by, being curious by asking questions, by asking for the support that they need. Um, this At any stage of your career, you could start to make these shifts. There's not like, you know, you have to wait to a certain point or that point's already passed. It's, you know, it, it's the time is now, everybody who's listening. <laughs> the time is yeah, now. It becomes all the more important at the tough times. I mean, it's going back to what you said. This is the insurance plan. The more you get good at this uh, in the easy times and the more you strengthen those muscles and you you strengthen those connections, the more those people will be there. So the couple of times when things haven't gone well, thank goodness yeah. that those people were there. So, uh, so you talked about using LinkedIn. Um, are you uh, doing any in-person a gathering of community on a regular basis, salons, dinners, retreats. So my gathering now um, for my clients will be quarterly. So we're going to do another one at the end of January. So I'm excited about that. But I also, uh, I do a lot of in-person community events both here and across the country. So I'm a, I'm a professional speaker. So the good news is I get to speak for a lot of communities. And one of the groups that I speak for is a group called Willpower, and they do a women's leadership program. Uh, it's been going here in the Bay Area for about eight years, and now it's in four cities. And I speak, I'm the last speaker in that sort of 11-month program every year. I just did three of them in the last two weeks, and I have another one coming up. And the joy of going and, and being a part of a community over eight years is I keep showing up, not just to be the speaker, but then also to some of their other events. And I get 
lots of wonderful connections to friends as well as find out about events as well as get clients. So it's kind of a lovely thing. I'm a part of a group called the International Women's Forum, which is an invite only group and they do a lot of events and I host one or two things every, you know, maybe every other year I'll host something. So there's lots of different ways in which to be of service and a lots of different ways in which to connect with communities that matter. And some of them, sure, I will just do the heavy lifting and get the people in the room. Um, and others, I will do the, yeah, I'll keep showing up when you invite me or you put it together and I'm going to keep being there. Yeah. It sounds also like you've done a really nice job curating a diverse network by these different leadership roles. You've said yes to the membership of the groups that you were involved in. Um, it, you know, was that thoughtful and, and conscious as well that you would not just have people from the same industry with the exact same, you know, education, the exact same race, ideology, all the rest. Is that, were you thoughtful about how you sort of diversified your network? Yes. And I, I suspect I could do even better at it, but let me answer the yes side of it first. Uh, I think that the, the good news about the organizations like Wellesley is, you know, in my alumni society, of course, they're not, yes, they all went to Wellesley, but then they did a thousand things after the International Women's Forum. They're not just in tech or they're not just in banking or whatever. They're from all walks of life, from judges and lawyers to explorers and authors. And so, yes, that's been beautiful. Um, and the similarly, the organization I started was Women on entrepreneurs, yeah, they were tech and life science, but they were from lots of different backgrounds and experiences and expertise. And so, yes, I think that, but I think that the place that I have not yet, uh, or not found as successfully is as many people of color because Silicon Valley is, we have a certain set of people of color, but we don't have every color. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, we have a lot of Asians and Indians, but we don't have a lot of everybody else at the, at the table. Um, so I think we have that challenge. Uh, I think teaching at Stanford has opened up my millennial network, which has been super fun because uh, that was pretty quiet for a while. So yeah, I think keep showing up in places where there is a new group of people with new things to talk about and new things they care about that continues to stretch me and grow me and my clients do too. But I, there's some work still to be done, I would say. Okay. So earlier you're talking about going to a few places and like really digging in and showing up, you know, for two decades, you've been going to these groups, but you also now are talking about seeing opportunities and going to places that were not those original three. Uh, how do you balance the sustaining these long-term relationships that, you know, eventually kind of yield something because you just know people for a really long time and they know you and these new opportunities that you know aren't going to be immediate because you understand that, but, but you see value in something related to that. And you're like, I want to be part of this experience or get to know these people and I imagine as a busy entrepreneur yourself, speaking, traveling, like there's a limited, like time is still a limit. So how do you think about that balance of those, those two? I think people feel stretched and then they don't do anything. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I completely get it. And, and I do have one luxury is I'm not married and I don't have children. So it does leave me more free time than others have. So I will get, I will give that. And that was a choice I made many years ago. And so that's been one thing. And the second is, you know, I go back to my curiosity, my need to learn. Um, I show up when there's something to learn. And then I show up when there's so a way I can make a difference. Mm. So the, the big thing, I just was chair of a big luncheon that happened here yesterday. We had 660 people at a luncheon for the National Abortion Rights Action League, which is the big one of the two big pro-choice uh, 
groups in the country. We work to bring in more people into office who are pro-choice and we raised a million and a half dollars and I chaired the lunch and I chaired the committee that put the lunch together. And, uh, that's, that's my give back this year, you know, but when I'm going to give back, it better be for a real big impact. So I, I have the luxury of getting to choose. And I think we all do. We all have that luxury. I don't do a ton of nonprofit stuff. Um, if I'm going to do nonprofit stuff, it's I'll give free speeches because I know I can help make the audience. I have an in, but it's about impact. Like I can have an impact on those people in the audience. So I will give that time. And if I'm going to give my time as a leader, it has to be something that is really going to move the needle. So if I can raise a million and a half at a lunch takes a year to put it together but I can raise a million and a half with my team yeah show I will show up and be that leader and make that happen absolutely but I'm very strategic in thinking about impact it always comes so it's curiosity learning and impact if I can maximize two of those three I'm a happy camper wow that is such a good um a good lens to, to think about options because we more than any other time in history we have options <laughs> too many yeah. Too many, and people always want your time. They want your, yeah. and I think we fritter away our time on a lot of small things that don't move needles. I've been right. working on. I interviewed this guy from my book that I just loved. He said that uh, Peter Schwartz, he's now at Salesforce, but he had his own business for a number of years. And he, he's an author and he talked about how when he was young, somebody told him, if you're not working on something that takes 25 to 50 years, then you're not working on something that matters. And I was like, that's really, I never thought of it that way, but I've been working on this women's entrepreneurship stuff and women in venture capital for 25 years. We started our organization 25 years ago. And at the time, there was less than 1% of the venture capital money going to women. And last year, we were at 2%. I mean, Yahoo, 25 years later, we made a 1% difference. It is easy to get discouraged about making a difference. Now, a lot of other things have changed. A lot of positive things have happened in the women's entrepreneurship space that I can point to. But I was measuring it on the 1% number. And now that we're at two, maybe on a good year, we'll get to six or eight. That's not a lot of impact. And it does get discouraging at times. So I try to find other places where maybe my impact can be a little more now. (laughs) But then if you look at the abortion question, we're going backwards on abortion in this country. So yes, I can raise a million and a half dollars, but we probably need 10 times more in the next five years than we've needed before because things are going backwards on these issues. I'm just one of many, many, I guess here's the way I look at it. I I look at it as I'm one of many people that are building, we're all building the wall and I'm building my little brick over here and I'm hoping to find other people whose bricks will catch mine and maybe together we'll build this path, this row on the brick path in the wall. But, and my wall is very different than that other wall, let me just say. But, you know, we're, maybe I should say it as a platform, we're all building a platform that others will stand on and I'm standing on the shoulders of many others before me. And that's the only way I can hope to make some change in the world is, is to look at it that way. Because bending the arc of uh, the world towards justice takes a long, long time. A long, long time. And sometimes it, it does reverse itself, it seems. So it's <laughs> frustrating as an individual, but when you see the people come together, it's really uplifting. And I like this idea of really being choosy and thoughtful about where you could have the highest impact. And I actually... You know, you're reminding me of when I was in my 20s, I was volunteering all over the place. Like I volunteered everywhere. I had time. I was learning. And I made a decision when I was 25 that my goal was that by the time I was 40, I would be giving more money than time. And that if I wanted that to be true, I would every year have to be making shifts in that direction. I couldn't just show up 
and and suddenly at 39, like flip a switch that I would have to start. So then at 25, I started giving. So never to the, for a long time, not to the groups I volunteered for. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm volunteering for them. I'm putting all these hours in, but I'm going to give money to this other group that I don't have time to volunteer for. And then, but over time, I had my little portfolio and I would encourage people around me to do the same thing to have, you know, you decide, is it all very hyper-local grassroots? Is it this one big, like NARAL, you know, national group that's having a huge impact? You decide, you know, and, and because I think we have to think of ourselves as being part of that in a long-term way and volunteering does have a, like a particular kind of lifespan. And then you realize that you can volunteer as a leader. And I think there's a moment that you have to sh- make that shift. And that's part of where philanthropy, I think, has come in for me. Um, but yes, for you, you, you're like, at this point, it's like, well, I'm not going to like, I, I, I was joking. Like, I'm, not, I'm past the stuffing envelope stage, you know, like, far, you know, far past bring me envelope. in to do strategy, bring me in yeah. to run groups, bring me in to speak. Like, and I think those are all higher impact, right? Thinking about that. So I think it's really helpful. And that any kind of volunteering in that way feels very strategic. And strategic volunteering is an excellent way to nurture and grow your network and to deepen those connections. So obviously spending a year working on a luncheon, you've developed really strong connections with everyone associated with that event rather than like the show up once kind of, you know, kind of way that people often do. Um, I went to the luncheon. You're like, that's not enough. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, and you write a check and that's not enough. But I, let's go to what you were talking about. I think about it as the, um, uh, Robin Chase, the entrepreneur who started uh, Zipcar, she told me in an interview that I did for the book was she talked about this thing, concept of highest and best use. And she learned it from a, a city planner person that she was sharing an office with at one point. You know, are we, is my highest and best use when I'm 20 to stuff envelopes? Yes, that's kind of all I can probably bring to the party. But by 25, can I bring a small check as well as some maybe more volunteer hours that matter than just, I mean, not to say that stuffing envelopes doesn't matter, but that maybe I can add a little more value at 25 and 30. And as I get more skills and I can bring people together. Yeah. So where is my highest and best use for me now? It's absolutely about leading a group of people who can raise a lot more money. Um, and for me, it's not going to marches and yeah, I'll sign a few petitions, but I'd much rather go work on a group here in Silicon Valley called Wire that started to help a whole bunch of women of both parties to run for office. And you know, I'll go and volunteer for them and give some time and energy because I understand how politics works and I can help people who've never run before. That feels, again, bigger impact. I, I bring my talents and my skills and my ideas and my connections and my leadership ability and my speaking ability. Yeah. Then now I'm at highest and best use. I love this concept. And I, again, so many people are overwhelmed by options. They almost don't do anything for fear of choosing the wrong thing. And this is a really helpful lens by which to, to think about this. So I, we're kind of coming to, to toward the end of the, our time together. Um, and one of my favorite questions is to, to ask you that if you know, we're reconnecting a year from now and uh, you're, you're you know, sharing all the amazing things that have happened in the previous year, I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. Yeah. 
I think there's a couple of things. Uh, one is, and I, and I do my, my planning sort of, I try to every year think of one or two things that I can do that'll scare the heck out of me. <laughs> so that's, that's how I do my planning. I pick, I even just wrote a blog post on LinkedIn about this. Um, you know, this is how I plan, like pick the things that give me that, that knot in the base of my stomach. Uh, and that's how my book got written is pick the scary things. So I, I'm picking a couple scary things, uh, this coming year, launching another class, a uh, second class on LinkedIn, but this one in an area that I'm just learning, which, so my first book was about thought leadership for individuals. And I did an online class on LinkedIn about it that people can go watch, which is, I think it's pretty good, but I'm pretty happy with it. And now they've invited me to do one on thought leadership for organizations. And so while I have some content around that, I couldn't put a class together today. So that's going to be, that's going to take something. I think that's the first thing uh, that I'll be celebrating. The second thing I'll likely be celebrating is that something that's actually happening in another month is uh, this group called MentorBox selected me to be one of their selections for their, their book. My book is being in a MentorBox next month. Thank you. Uh, we just finished filming that a couple of weeks ago and that goes out to like 300,000 people. So I, who knows what that'll bring. But to me, whatever will be celebrating from that magic is something I'm excited to see what unfolds. Well, you know, that's MentorBox is not even a goal that most people think to have. It's it's a stupendous achievement because it's not one that you could say, I'm setting out to make this happen, you know? No. And funny, you guess who the person is who's the other book that month is Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn. <laughs> wow. And one of his biggest fans. So I just yeah. really have my book and his book be the mentor box selections for next month. So that's uh, That'll be a real joyous who knows what happens? Everything, everything leads to something else. When we put our, when we put our gifts out in the world, when we put our, our hard work out in the world, and we really are about being of service to being that. I wrote it down that go giver. I, I think the magic unfolds. You know, it, it isn't about the quid pro quo that I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. But if I keep doing good in the world, every single thing I've ever done that's been good in the world with no expectation of a recompense or outcome or whatever has led to magic. Magic. And so I keep telling people, just keep doing good for other people and it will pay off. You have no idea now what it will be doing, what, what will happen, but trust that it will. Do you think if you had told your younger self that advice that you'd have heard it and said, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'll totally go that way. I probably would have doubted it. I would have doubted the magical outcomes. Honestly, I, I don't think I could have ever predicted all the things, you know, teaching at Stanford Business School came about because of my book and all kinds of things happened as a result of the hard work and the fear and the terror of putting a book out in the world and putting your, putting your eye on the line, as I call it, like, I will do this. I will, I will put my ideas out there. That's scary. But once I did it, all kinds of other magic unfolded and the book came about because of somebody else that I helped. And I don't know if at 25, I would have quite believed it, but it has so proved out to be true. Yeah. So every single thing that's good in the world happened because of somebody or something that I helped along the way. Yeah, I, I call the philosophy of abundance. That's what I think of it as. And um, and I, I do think you have to live your way into it in little ways and then bigger ways. And then like it becomes just something I can't even imagine living in any other way right now. Um, yeah, and being willing to ask for help. I think that's yeah. another key principle that I've learned, you know, when I face challenges and I'm hiding yeah. under my bed or under my covers, the key is to pick up the phone and call somebody, call somebody. Don't think that you're a superwoman or a superman and you can do this by yourself. Relationships right. is 
talk about it. I couldn't be more certain that that is another thing I would have told that 25-year-old girl. That's brilliant. So how can people find you and follow your work? Well, the best place to start is my website, which is thoughtleadershiplab.com. And that will lead you to my blog and my work on LinkedIn Learning and a lot of other wonderful things that I love to put out in the world. So I've got a ton of resources on there as well. Fantastic. And we also will have links to your LinkedIn, your Twitter, to your book, uh, Ready to Be a Thought Leader, How to Increase Your Influence, Impact, and Success. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been wonderful. You're welcome. I'll just do my little my commercial here. Awesome. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Denise. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 124. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. By now, you've probably heard more than a few times about my online group coaching program, The More Program for Entrepreneurial Women. But you may not know that I work with clients of all genders through one-on-one coaching. So, If one-on-one is more your speed or you don't fit the demographic of my group members, reach out about scheduling a complimentary chat. I'd love to learn more about you and your business goals. Contact me through my website and we'll set up a time to chat. If you enjoyed this episode with Denise, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional by their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.